I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Patricia Power's eerie saga of a neighborhood besieged. Faces the foe. Starring Jessica Walter. Joseph Campanella. And Judy Kern. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by Beats Not Chewing Tobacco and Quaker State Motor Oil. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. As in every winter, Montreal is crippled by seasonal blizzards. But residents along Winnicott Road are also paralyzed by something they're not accustomed to. The threat of being raped and murdered. Tension in the vicinity is running high. Doors are locked and chained. Friends and neighbors eye one another with suspicion. For Laura Prescott, having been assaulted in the park, a new boyfriend has brought an element of security into her life. But for her roommate, Nicole Nugent, the killer, whoever he may be, has struck tragically close to home. The third murder victim is Nicole's own Aunt Emily, the picturesque, blithe spirit who was apparently loved by all. Three questions linger in the minds of all concerned. Who is this madman lurking about? Why is he doing these terrible things? And finally, and most desperately, who will be his next victim? Face of the Foe continues in a moment. Hello, this is William Conrad. If you're planning a trip abroad this year, you'll be returning to the United States through customs. You'll be asked to declare, either orally or in writing, everything you've acquired abroad and have in your possession at the time. Your baggage and belongings will be examined, and during thorough examinations for illegal narcotics, you may experience a slight delay. In order to clear customs more quickly, it's a good idea to keep all sales slips and have them handy when you make your declaration. Also, do your best to pack the articles you've acquired abroad in the same suitcase. Know before you go about customs, rules, and regulations. For free information, contact the U.S. Treasury Department's Bureau of Customs District Office nearest you and ask for customs hints for returning U.S. residents. You'll find the customs office listed in your phone book under U.S. Government. It was Monday morning, the day after Aunt Emily's murder. The sky was gray and heavy, with sweeps of angry black clouds that foretold a storm. The heavens, I thought, were protesting the slaughter of the innocent. Chris was with me, our quarrel forgotten and his book willingly set aside. 
Laura was there, along with Julian Brooke, his gentlemanly manner abandoned as he expressed outrage over Aunt Emily's murder with his mouth set in a firm, hard line. And Lisa and Guy had come. And Guy, for a change, silent and subdued. Lisa, beautiful and serene as ever, had taken me in her arms and rocked me gently, urging me to cry. But the tears wouldn't come. And now there was Lieutenant Philippe sitting wearily across from me, his cynical gray eyes looking bleak as death. We know you're tired and under great strain, mademoiselle. We too are tired and under strain. There must be no more of these violent murders. It's too late to say that now, Lieutenant. My aunt is gone. Yes, I, I know how you must feel, mademoiselle, but the danger continues until the killer or killers are apprehended. There is nothing I can tell you, Lieutenant. I, I can't imagine who would ever want to kill my aunt. Your aunt had two boys staying with her. Uh, both boys seem to have disappeared. But she was good to them. They wouldn't have any reason to hurt her, except... Except what, mademoiselle? Well, one of them, Tony Bartha. My aunt was going to ask him to leave. She thought he was into the drug scene. He might have become angry and... But then, Mademoiselle Nugent, there was someone, after all, who might have had reason to harm your aunt. Hmm? I suppose so, Lieutenant. Uh, it seems there's always someone. Lieutenant, was my aunt sexually molested? No, Mademoiselle. She was spared that indignity. Although, as in the case of Elsie Grunberger... It may only have been that something frightened the killer away. And so my Aunt Emily, who loved life and lived it with such zest, now lay stiffly in a mahogany casket between a pair of flickering tapers in a flower-banked room of Hanson's funeral parlor, her eyes sealed forever against the world of Maya. A bewildering variety of people came to pay their last respects. The stunned and frightened remaining members of St. Simon's Choir, of course. And a dozen young monks from the Hare Krishna Temple in saffron-colored robes with tilaks painted on their foreheads. A group from the drop-in center with Donald Hamill and Tony Bartha conspicuously absent. A supermarket clerk, the woman from the cleaning shop... The tea importer on Blurry, where Aunt Emily had gone every month for her special blend of Darjeeling tea. Who told me Aunt Emily had known almost as much about tea as he did. And a grizzled old shoemaker who said that Aunt Emily had been a woman after his own heart. She had always demanded that thick, stout soles be put on her shoes. None of those fashionable, skinny ones that wore out in no time. The shoes were for walking, weren't they? And she always had him put cleats on her heels so people could hear her coming. That was my Aunt Emily. I thought of her gleaming red motorcycle, stored away for the winter in her garage, and I knew what Aunt Emily would want me to do with it. If Donald Hamill ever returned, it would be his. It was the night following Aunt Emily's funeral, and Chris had suggested supper for just the two of us by the fire in his comfortable bachelor apartment. You're not eating anything, Nikki. What are you thinking about? Oh, I was thinking about my trip... All this has certainly taken the shine out of it. Oh, but your Aunt Emily would be the first to urge to go, despite everything. I know. That's why I'm going, despite everything. Three weeks in Jamaica is just what you need. 
But it seems a bad time for me to go away and leave Laura alone in the apartment. Well, if you think she's nervous about it, why don't you suggest she go and stay with a friend while you're gone? Yeah, I think I will. Well, one thing we've decided, we're having a peephole installed in our apartment door. That's a good idea. You know, there's still that question of whether or not Kathleen Windsor and your Aunt Emily willingly admitted the murderer as someone they knew and trusted. I'm exhausted from trying to figure out who did it and how. I'll just have to trust that Lieutenant Philippe will eventually catch the murderer. <laughs> Lieutenant Philippe looks too tired to catch anybody. But you're right, Muffin. He'd try to put everything out of your mind except your trip. And giving you my answer when I get back. You don't even have to worry about that. Considering all that's happened, I can wait a little longer for your answer. Oh, Chris, you're so dear. I don't know why I keep putting you off. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet, eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. Is that why you've always called me Muffet? Because you elude me. It's not just my preoccupation with writing that bothers you, Nicky. That's just part of it. You're afraid of love. You like the shallows, the quiet waters. But you're afraid of the whirlpools of love, afraid of being caught up, whirled away, lost to the maelstrom. You're right, Chris. I am afraid. But you have to take chances in life, Muffet. Make an act of faith and surrender yourself to the whirlpool without fear. That's what living is all about. I knew Chris's words about life and love were true. And I was going to do a lot of thinking about them all the time I was gone. The trouble with me was I was a coward. A coward about life and love and death. My daddy was a mighty fine man. He taught me a thing or two. A woman can hurt, so you stay on your guard and beat nuts the tobacco you chew. There were times we'd go fishing, my daddy and me. He'd tell me everything you ever knew. We'd go after Big Mouth in close to the bank and beat nuts the tobacco you chew. Around here, beach nuts the word for chewing tobacco. And it's been that way, father and son, for a long, long time. What's the secret? It's the way beach nut just keeps getting better. Like beach nuts a lot moister these days, with more taste and less stems. Big improvements. You ought to try today's beach nut chewing tobacco. And now I'm a daddy with a son who's full grown, and I tell him a thing or two. Scared money don't win, evil women drink gin, and beach nuts the tobacco you We'll return to our story in a moment. Now, here are the bunkers. Gene Stapleton and Carol O'Connor. The house we liked the best wasn't the one we ended up buying. It was beautiful on the outside, but we found out that there were terrible termites everywhere. It would have cost us thousands of dollars to really get the house in shape. That's right, and we didn't figure on all the increases in property tax, maintenance, and other expenses. But... We went to HUG and got some very good advice. Yeah, we were pretty lucky, weren't we, Archie? Lucky? No, if we wasn't lucky, we were smart. I know some people who never got as serious as us about buying a home. They've been having headaches ever since. Buying a home is a big deal. Learn about house hunting, property inspection, FHA-insured loans, and the responsibilities of ownership in a free booklet called The Wise Home Buying Guidebook. Write HUD, Department HB, Washington, D.C., 20402. 
Before I knew it, it was Saturday. And I was in a plane, the terror and tragedy diminishing behind me as I headed for three sunny weeks in Jamaica. The first thing I did on my arrival in Port Antonio was enroll in the Meet the People program at the local tourist board. I was introduced to two Jamaican girls my age and taken on a round of activities that left little time to think of the grim events at home. Sightseeing, swimming, water skiing, rafting down the Rio Grande, and riding the trails up into the Blue Mountains. I was so busy that my first week in the islands flew by. Montreal and murder were beginning to seem very far away. But then I received a letter from Laura. Dear Nikki, we've been having sleet, snow, rain, and cold ever since you left. Doesn't that make you feel smug from where you sit under the Caribbean sun? No need to worry about me. Every time I peek through our new peephole, it's into the smiling face of my handsome English escort. The more I'm with Julian Brooke, the better I like him. And I'm with him a lot. One bit of news, for whatever it's worth. Guess who I saw coming out of the parish house next to St. Simon's Church? None other than our scowling neighbor from apartment 4, T. Oliphant. But without the mysterious brown cotton under his arm for a change. What do you make of that? Love, Laura. sure what to make of it. Aunt Emily and the two other murder victims had been members of St. Simon's Choir. Lieutenant Philippe had suggested the killer therefore might very possibly be associated with St. Simon's. And now it appeared T. Oliphant was. Yet neither Kathleen Windsor nor Aunt Emily had shown any sign of recognizing him when he passed by them in the lobby of our apartment building. <laughs> then with a shudder, I recalled how he had looked at both of them in the same way, with that ugly sneer of his. I was glad to be so far away from Montreal at the moment, and relieved to know that Julian Brooke was looking after Laura. I was determined to enjoy my final week in Jamaica. I had splurged in a plush hotel suite, overlooking the dazzling white sandy beach and sparkling blue sea at Montego Bay. I took a leisurely breakfast on the balcony each morning, lazed on the beach until the afternoon when I went sightseeing. I thought about Chris hard at work on his book, but my mind refused to dwell on anything so serious as the question of our marriage. Then, all too soon it seemed, my vacation was over. And on my very last day in Jamaica, I received another letter from Laura. Dear Nikki. I decided to take your advice after all and stay with a friend until you come back. There's been the bother of several anonymous phone calls. You know, the kind where you pick up the receiver and only hear someone breathing on the other end. A little frightening after all this murder business. Chris is in Toronto for a quickie conference with his publisher, so Julian and I will meet you at the airport. Nikki! Here we are. Oh, Laura, Laura, it's so good to see you. Hello, Julian. Welcome home, Nicole. Nicky, what a glorious chance. Wait till Chris sees you. Oh, I suppose you arranged this Montreal snowfall just for me. To make you feel at home. Laura and I had in mind taking you off to my place for a drink and a bite to eat as a bit of a homecoming celebration, if you're not too tired. I'm not too tired. I'd love it. Good. Then let's collect your luggage and be off. Julian Brooke had to be a very successful furniture designer. He drove us in his sleek black sports car to an opulent glass and steel structure in Westmount, where he escorted us up to his second floor apartment, 
into a spacious combination living room library, elegantly furnished with sleek, modular furniture and an impressive display of rare books, paintings, and sculpture. He poured us cocktails and graciously toasted my homecoming. And I could see from the look he and Laura exchanged over their glasses that their relationship had been progressing well. A few moments later, a waiter appeared at the door with a catered dinner of delicious seafood. Just one of the services of the establishment. Catered meals at the tenant's request from the penthouse restaurant. As you can see, Julian believes in living in style. Well, why not if you can afford it? You're not the only world traveler, Nikki. Julian is taking off for Rome next week. Oh, but not for a vacation, however. Purely business. I'm going to see Giorgio Bartoli, the Italian designer, about that new plant I'm opening. Oh, it sounds exciting. Don't get him started, Nicky. His passion for innovative furniture is almost equal to his passion for boats. And speaking of passions, I'm taking Laura to see her favorite Spanish dance company at the club midnight next Saturday evening. Uh, do you suppose you and Chris might join us? It'll be my leave-taking party just before my plane takes off. Well, sounds lovely to me, but I'll have to check with Chris, of course. Julian will be going right to the airport. So if you and Chris come, I can ride home with you. Laura, tell me about the phone calls. The ones you mentioned in your last letter. Oh, I imagine whoever it was has become discouraged by now. Since I haven't been there to pick up the phone. I'm afraid it isn't so much those calls that caused Laura to abandon the apartment while you were away. Then what was it? What else has happened? I didn't want to write you about it while you were still on your vacation, Nicky. But now that you're back, you'll have to know. Know what? There's been another murder, I'm afraid. Oh, God, that makes four. Was it another poor woman strangled? Yes. In an apartment on Queen Mary near Godfrey. Just a block over from Winnicott Road. Was she a member of St. Simon's Choir like the others? I don't know. The papers didn't say. It was a very sparse account. The police are under a tremendous amount of pressure, I suspect. Four murders, and they don't seem any closer to an answer. There's a little town in western Pennsylvania called Oil City, where they make peace of mind. They put it up in quart-sized green and white cans and ship millions of them all over the land to people who don't want to worry about their cars. This peace of mind for car owners is called Quaker State Motor Oil. The folks who make it are experts, men who really know motor oil, because that's been Quaker State's specialty for over 50 years. Quaker State starts with the finest natural petroleum the earth provides, 100% pure Pennsylvania grade crude oil. Then they put it through step after step of refining and fortify it to fight heat and rust and dirt and wear and give your engine the protection it needs. Quaker State Motor Oil. Who says you can't buy peace of mind? Quaker State, your car. You keep it running, yeah. You keep it running. The Zero Hour continues after this. What is a Harrier? It isn't a helicopter, but it could land in your backyard. Harrier. It isn't a conventional jet, but it can match the speed of sound. Harrier. It's a revolution in aviation, and the Marines are looking for good men to fly it. Harrier. Phantom. 
Dog, Cobra, Marine Corps. If you're a college man thinking of aviation, think Marine Corps and talk to the Marine officer who visits your school. The program is PLC Air, and there's no campus training. A few good men can even get free civilian flying lessons while they're still in college. The Marines are looking for a few good men who want to fly the Harrier, Huey, Intruder, Bronco, and the Marine Corps. Searching for clues to construct a pattern, concluded the killings were the work of a disordered mind. A mind that knew no logic, had no pattern. When Chris called on his return from Toronto, I was grateful for the sound of his voice and the feeling of his solid, reassuring presence near me again. I hope Jamaica was more fun than Toronto. It was beautiful, but I'm glad to be home, now that you're home too. Well, that makes two of us, Muffet. And you might be interested to hear that somebody else is back in Montreal, too. Who? Donald Hamill. Donald? Where is he? At the moment, bunking in with me. I found him and his guitar camped on my doorstep when I got in late last night. After that little talk he and I had at your place on his birthday, I guess he felt comfortable with me. You're a comfortable kind of person, darling. Where has Donald been? He hitched out of the city in a panic, but then decided to come back and try to clear things up as far as he was concerned. He's agreed to let me take him down today to give the police his story. What is his story? And where is Tony Bartha? Donald says he doesn't know where Tony is. When they left your aunt's house that last day, they split up. And according to Donald, that's the last time he saw Tony. And Donald didn't ever go back to Aunt Emily's? Yes, he did. About 6.30, according to him. He found the door open and your aunt lying dead on the kitchen floor. Then maybe it was Tony who killed her. It could have been. Anyway, that was Donald's first thought. He panicked and took off. Do you think the police will believe his story? I don't know, but I think I do. So do I. Well, I'll let you know what the police think over dinner tonight. How about the carbon espresso at 7, okay? <laughs> Nicky, with that terrible, gorgeous letter. Oh, Chris, thank you. Now I know how much I missed you. Well, that's what I was counting on. Nicky, you're back. Oh, Guy, I didn't see you come in. Hello, Guy. Oh, I'm glad I ran into you, too. I have something to show you. Look. It's a surprise for Lisa. Do you think she liked them? Why, oh, they're really beautiful earrings, Guy. Those green stones are emeralds, in case you're wondering. I hope Lisa likes them. How is Lisa? More beautiful than ever. Maternity becomes her. Lisa could never be anything but beautiful. I know. Every time I look at her, I find it hard to believe she's my wife. Do you really think she'll like the earrings? That was Guy Saverin's big problem. He was so unsure of himself that he could never stop putting on a big show, even with his wife. Poor Lisa. I knew how she was going to feel about another of Guy's expensive gifts. Where was he getting the money to buy them? That's what I wondered. Fortunately, for the sake of my intimate reunion dinner with Chris, Guy was too eager to spring his latest surprise on Lisa to linger long at our table. 
Between his deadline and the extra work I found piled up at the office after my three weeks away, Chris and I had no other chance to be together the rest of the week. By Friday evening, I felt up to nothing more than a light dinner and early to bed. As I opened the door on the quiet apartment, I realized it was the first time I'd been home alone since I came back, since the police had issued their grisly warning. I closed the door firmly and slid the chain lock into place. As I started for the kitchen... <gasps> Hello? 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 Who is this? Say something! I dropped the receiver back on the hook, drawing my hands away as though the phone were on fire. A chill shot up the length of my spine. I should have left the receiver off. But perhaps this time it was Chris or Laura calling home for some reason. Why be frightened of a silly telephone? Even if it was that creep calling back, I could just tell him to bug off. Hello? Maybe I wasn't so brave after all. I decided to leave the phone off the hook and hope that no one would try to reach me. I'd have a quick dinner and get into bed. And tomorrow I'd suggest to Laura that we have our number changed. The monotonous hum of the phone off the hook was a little unnerving, but better than that sudden shrill ring in the empty apartment. I was about to take to my bedroom and hopefully let sleep shut out all my disquieting thoughts of prowling psychopaths in the night when... It was someone at the door. But who? No one had pressed the buzzer from the lobby. If it were Laura without her key, she would call out, not frighten me with that strange, soft knocking. Who is it? Why didn't they answer? I was almost afraid to look through the peephole, but it seemed whoever it was wasn't going to go away. I put my eye to the opening and looked out straight into the cold, thick-lens stare of T. Oliphant. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. At 19, Jill Kinmont was one of America's top women skiers, till an accident on an icy slope left her paralyzed. Now, 17 years later, she's a teacher, a good teacher. I guess you can say I've overcome my handicap, but I couldn't have done it alone. I had family, friends, people who accepted me, believed in me, and helped me believe in myself. Yet there are millions of handicapped people in this country who aren't getting the acceptance they deserve because some people think that a handicapped person can't hold down a job, can't pay the rent, can't learn, can't be a human being. Well, unless you recognize that we are human beings with feelings, with skills, with a sense of responsibility, then you're adding a handicap we can't overcome. This public service message brought to you on behalf of the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare and the Advertising Council. One more further road 
He took just one more for the road. He took just two more for the road. He knows why three more for the road. He wanted four more for the road. He knows why five more for the road. He needed six more for the road. He knows why. Chewing tobacco and Quaker steak motor oil. This is the Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. You have been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.